Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. In early November, a civil war broke out in Ethiopia. The conflict pitted the federal government and its allies against the regional government of Tigray. Tigray is in northern Ethiopia and borders both Eritrea and Sudan. For decades, a political party from Tigray, known as the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, was the dominant force in Ethiopian politics. The TPLF was essentially the Ethiopian government from the early 1990s. That was until 2018, when the current Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, came to power. He is not of the TPLF, and as Prime Minister has taken certain actions that the TPLF perceived as hostile to their interests. Tensions had been simmering for many months and came to a head in September when Tigray held regional elections, which the federal government deemed illegal. On November 4, 2020, armed conflict broke out between federal government military forces stationed in the capital of Tigray and TPLF armed forces. Since then, the fighting has gotten worse and the humanitarian impact for the people living in Tigray has been catastrophic. Exact figures about the number of people killed and displaced by fighting are hard to come by because the region has been more or less off-limits for the media. Also, humanitarian aid agencies have had their movements severely restricted. Still, there have been many reports of mass atrocities and possible ethnic cleansing. The most recent of such reports was issued by Amnesty in late February and the report found evidence of hundreds of Tigrayan civilians killed by Eritrean military. And it is with a discussion of that event that I kick off this interview with William Davison, a senior analyst for Ethiopia with the International Crisis Group. We then discuss how and why this conflict started, and where it may be headed next. This is a sobering conversation about a tragedy unfolding in Ethiopia. Uh, It's nevertheless, I think, a very important episode. For many months, this conflict, I think, was not getting the attention it deserved, at least here in the United States. But we are now seeing more and more high-level engagement by the new Biden administration around this conflict. Uh, Just twice in the course of one week, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, phoned Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed expressing concerns about the situation. And in the course of this conversation, William Davison explains the impact of this kind of international pressure on the course of events in Tigray. All right, now here is my conversation with William Davison of the International Crisis Group. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization 
hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The Amnesty report focused on an incident over a few days, a week, I think, in late November in the city of Aksum, which is a fairly major city in Tigray. But the basic events it described is that um, Eritrean and Ethiopian forces entered the town, and then there was a attempt to sort of defend the town or attack the Eritrean forces by some described as local militia or, or youth from you know, the Tigrayan inhabitants of the town. That was repelled fairly easily by the Eritrean uh, troops, who are far better trained and armed. And then it was subsequent to that, where essentially these Eritrean forces went on the rampage, pretty much, in Aksum, as described in the report. So they went door to door, looking for people who were of sort of fighting age, or particularly people who uh, participated, may have been part of this militia that attacked them. Um, they engaged in, in, in looting in Aksum, but you know, most importantly, um, they engaged in an unknown, um, Amnesty put it out, in the hundreds, um, an unknown number of killings of, of civilians in, in Aksum, many of them, it seems, in sort of execution style. So what the report described is an absolutely brutal retaliation um, by Eritrea's army. Yeah, it, this does seem to be, uh, of what we know so far, the most significant mass atrocity event of this conflict. Yes, um, but I think we, we, we still have to be very you know, hesitant about assessments like that because mm. you know, we're, we're, we're talking about um, an event in late November um, that has come to light in, in late February. And so the point is that information is filtering out slowly. Um, it's an even slower process um, to confirm or verify um, that information. And unfortunately, there are um, any number of reports of mass killings coming out. Mm. Um, in Tigray. Um, there has been the well-reported incident near Edaga Hamus, um, to the east of Aksum, to the north of Mekele, the capital, um, at Dengalat Monastery. Um, that was covered in the media recently. Um, and there have been uh, several other similar reports of, of mass killings. We should also not forget uh, that the most heavily publicized massacre so far has been in the town of Maikadra, right at the outset of the war, around the 9th of November. Um, and that was pinned upon Tigrayan militia by the um, Ethiopian Human Rights Commission and also Amnesty, who did a brief report mm. on that. And I think, you know, the other notable thing is that the, the Aksum killing, um, the, the Dengalat massacre and others, um, and the systemic looting um, in sort of central northern Tigray, that has been... Uh, attributed to Eritrean military. Human Rights Watch has reported on sort of indiscriminate of urban areas which could constitute a war crime carried out by the Ethiopian federal, federal defence forces. Um, but then in western Tigray, it is the, the Amhara militia who were part of the federal intervention and who have reclaimed territory in western Tigray that they said you know, should have been part of Amhara, not Tigray. 
They have been accused by refugees who fled to Sudan, but also in a recent U.S. government report covered by the New York Times um, of you know violent depopulation um, with the term ethnic cleansing used mm-hmm. um, to remove Tigrayans from those areas in West Tigray. And we really don't know too much detail about what occurred there. So yes, the Aksum incident is incredibly serious. Arguably, it's the most serious incident so far, although others uh, particularly who um, you know, oppose uh, the TPLF and support the federal intervention would say that the Mykadra incident was by far the most serious, with claims of up to 1,000, even more civilians mm. having been killed. Um, but the unfortunate truth is that um, because of the information blackout, um, the lack of reporting, the restri- other restrictions on access, um, there may be even worse to come. And can you explain to listeners why Eritrean troops would seemingly be joining forces with the Ethiopian federal government uh, to fight uh, against the TPLF? And in you know the case of this incident in Axum, um, you know participate in atrocity against ethnic Tigrayans. Well, the TPLF uh, leadership has had a very long relationship with Eritrea's president and the ruling party there. Uh, they, they were the liberation movements that spearheaded the, um, the rebellions, insurgencies that led to the, the collapse of the Derg regime in Ethiopia in 1991. As a result of that regime change, that transition, Eritrea became an independent country. And then Ethiopia's federation multinational ethnic federation was created at the same time with the TPLF becoming arguably the single most dominant force within that government as part of a ruling coalition. Subsequent to that, you know, there was some, um, well, there was, there was a lot of promise, but really relations deteriorated quite quickly um, over economic issues, territorial issues. Um, and then we had the 1998-2000 so-called border war um, between Ethiopia and Eritrea. Now, because of the TPLF's predominance within the Ethiopian regime, um, including within the military, you know, that was that had a strong component of a clash between these former sort of rebel allies, the mm-hmm. Eritrean and Tigrayan leadership. That war was brutal. The settlement gave awarded disputed land to Eritrea, but essentially that was never implemented. Um, and that led to this frozen conflict right through to 2018, when Prime Minister came to power, the TPLF lost a lot of federal power, and there was the rapprochement between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and particularly between Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed and President Isaias Afwerki. And President Isaias Afwerki is a sworn enemy um, of the TPLF elite. So in many ways, it's entirely natural and unsurprising um, that given the federal government um, led by Abiy Ahmed came to blows with Tigray's um, regional government over these, well, nominally over these electoral constitutional dispute last year. Um, when that federal intervention was launched, it was in many ways an ideal opportunity for President Isaias to see through Um, or achieve a long-standing objective, which was the final demise Mm -hmm. of his major political opponents. So, I mean, it's basically they have a common 
perceived enemy in the TPLF because for so many years, the TPLF controlled the federal government of Ethiopia, waged a war against Eritrea from Eritrea's perspective. And so now uh, with the TPLF on the ropes, because it is no longer a force in the federal government and is now, you know, the, the, you know, on the receiving end of, of the Ethiopian federal government's um, military advances, you know, the, the Eritreans uh, now see this as a moment to deliver that final blow to the TPLF. Yes, exactly. And, you, you know, it was, a, and it, you know, it was the TPLF um, with a, a heavy presence in Ethiopia's federal government. Um, you know, they were instrumental in the isolation of Eritrea that we've seen over the past couple of, of decades, the sanctions regime. Um, of course, you know, these things are um, there are different perspectives on them. Many would say that President Desires uh, brought that upon Eritrea mm-hmm. himself. Um, but yes, it did present that opportunity. And then, of course, you know, from the Addis perspective, you know, from the Asmara perspective and from their supporters, they would, of course, say that it was the disgruntled TPLF, um, which was looking to derail Abiy's progressive reforms and derail um the peace agreement between Ethiopia and Eritrea, they would say that the TPLF were the spoilers. And, and therefore, you know, in their presentation of events, the removal of the TPLF is the removal of the final obstacle to harmonious, mm. um, well, to first a, a normalization of Ethiopian Eritrean relations and then harmonious um, relations in a more peaceful and prosperous Horn of Africa. So could you briefly explain to listeners and kind of take us back to the start of this conflict in November and how and why uh, civil war broke out. What were the proximate causes of the, the outbreak of this conflict? Well, it's a long chain of events and, and very much include some of that you know, contemporary political history that we, that we would just ran through, of course. Um, but in terms of the, um, you know, the, 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 the proximate causes here. I mean, the final trigger, um, we can say, was the decision by Tigray regional government to take over as much of the federal military stationed in Tigray, and that was known as the Northern, what is known as the Northern Command, to take over as much of that as possible. And that was done in conjunction with conspiring Tigrayan officers in the federal military. Uh, that was what led to the federal government launching a military intervention, um, a military intervention that was obviously supported by Eritrean forces and not just the federal army in Ethiopia, but also Amhara regional forces. And that's those are very important components. The Amhara regional forces. This is, I take it, ethnic militias that have historically been um, antagonistic with Tigrayan ethnic militias? Well, there's, there's certainly a certain amount of, um, you know, historic competition between sort of two power centers in, in Ethiopia. Um, there's certainly a lot of political animosity that's been built up between their elites uh, during, during the federal era. And ever since, in many ways, ever since the, you know, the TPLF began its rebellion right back in in 1974. Um, but I guess the most prominent and relevant aspect of that here is the territorial issue. And that is that um, Amhara um, 
elites, activists, um, with the you know increasing amount of popular support, they have said that you know when the federation was created in the 1990s, that Tigray and the TPLS effectively forcefully annexed what was rightfully Amhara land and attached it to Tigray. Um, fert relatively fertile land, sesame growing areas, giving Tigray a sort of an international border to Sudan, and then also accusations that similar um, events took place in, in southern Tigray mm -hmm. as well. So that became an increasing uh, political grudge that was held by the Amhara against the Tigrayans. Generally, um, they're inclined to see the TPLF as an anti-Amhara entity and mm -hmm. the federal um, Ethiopia as an anti-Amhara construct. This is part of the narrative of Amhara nationalism, part of the grievance narrative. Of course, just one um, in one grievance narrative in, in Ethiopian politics. Um, but it was in the course of this federal intervention to remove the TPLF government, um, the Amhara regular uh, security forces, but also irregular militia moved um, with the federal military um, into Western Tigray, where the intervention was first focused. Um, and that was part of this just, uh, successful removal of Tigray's government in, in November. And since then, um, Amhara elements, including um, the regional leadership, has laid claim to these areas. They are saying we have now, they are now rightfully back under Amhara administration. Um, and they do not look um, in any mood to give up on that. And this has involved a significant depopulation of Tigrayans from those areas. And in many ways, that's a reversal of what the Amhara say they suffered in the 80s and 90s at the end, at the hands of the TPLF. They say that Amhara were annexed from those areas. And it's that depopulation of areas of Western Tigray by Amhara, regular, irregular militias, and the Ethiopian federal government that led to this report from the United States government that was leaked to the New York Times suggesting ethnic cleansing had occurred in uh, parts of Tigray. Is that right? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, in these areas of Western Tigray that um, Amhara... Um, factions have, have have long claimed that that's indeed um, the allegations of um, of depopulation or, or ethnic cleansing. There had there was suggestions that perhaps a million people fled east um, from Western Tigray into Central Tigray. Um, Sixty thousand refugees, overwhelmingly Tigrayan, went to Sudan, of course. Um, but I think. Yes, you know that that report was was certainly significant in terms of the interest it generated and the and the very concerning events. But there's a lot of detail to come out about what exactly has occurred in West Tigray, and um, that has not really yet yet emerged. And what do we know about the current status of fighting? I mean, it sounds just the way you're describing it as if the TPLF is outgunned and outmanned, um, you know, by Eritreans on one side and the federal government and these Amhara militias on the other. I mean, is there still hot fighting, active fighting on the ground to your knowledge? Yes, there is. Um, certainly there were some very major confrontations in um, sort of early mid-February. Um, most of the fighting has been concentrated in central Tigray, the major confrontations. That's where um, you know, Tigray's ousted leaders um, that's where their relative stronghold is and rural areas around there. So they're mounting occasional ambushes on 
on convoys, um, and they're also engaging in some major confrontations with Eritrean and um, Ethiopian military. They very much were overwhelmed and outgunned, including from the air, um, and particularly by a drone campaign in November and December. Um, they lost control of the regional government. They headed to rural areas, and I think they were essentially trying to survive. But since the new year, really, um, they seem to have consolidated and re-strategized. I think they have a more mobile, less mechanized force now. Um, and they have managed to take hold in, in rural areas. And like I say, um, maintain their grip on territory and engage in, in, in these confrontations. Now, huge victories are always claimed um, by the Tigrayan forces, but that's been very, very hard to verify. So all we can really say is that significant clashes are ongoing. And this is corroborated you know, by the, 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 the actors that are on, on the ground, the independent actors, um, and also just by the fact that we could see in terms of perhaps aid deliveries or the aid operation, it's obvious that some of these rural areas or, or a huge swathes of these rural areas in central Tigray, perhaps when you get about 20 kilometers or so away from the major towns and the main roads, which are controlled by the federal forces, um, when you get into that, those rural areas about that distance, um, they, then they no longer um, have, have control. So there is still um, a significant conflict ongoing. Um, and then we should also note that, you know, the, the Eritrean military is in control of, 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 of northern Tigray as well. Um, and those areas also seem to be largely, if not exclusively, um, inaccessible for the aid agencies. Well, I, I wanted to, to uh, hone in on this question about humanitarian access. You know, I think yesterday I was watching uh, a press conference from the spokesperson of the UN Secretary General who expressed kind of exasperation about, you know, being repeatedly um, given assurances that humanitarian and UN affiliated aid agencies would be able to access certain areas of Tigray, but then when push comes to shove, they're they're not allowed in. Um, and this seems to combine with a general um, determination by the Ethiopian government to keep media away, to you know, shut down internet, basically keep everyone in the dark about what's actually happening on the ground. Um, what do we know about the ability right now of aid agencies to access uh, Tigray? Um, it's it's still. Um you're severely restricted or, or limited. And of course, this relates to the conflict situation. Um, so as you noted, you know, it's not just been um, aid agencies who've been denied access, but it's also journalists and you know, researchers who've, who've also not been, been present in the conflict. So that relates to a strong attempt by the federal government to control the flow of information from Tigray um, and therefore control the narrative. Um, we've also seen, you know, for example, um, I've mentioned the presence and we, we started off talking about this atrocity committed by the Eritrean forces, but that Eritrean military presence has not been formally acknowledged by Addis Ababa, by the Ethiopian federal government. So you can see the problem. Um, a conflict is ongoing. Um, people were already suffering um, or you know, had 
vulnerable livelihoods, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people, pre-conflict, then the conflict occurs. There's all sorts of interruption to telecoms, banking, markets, transport, aid delivery. Um, but then there are massive aspects of this conflict, such as the Eritrean role, which the federal government does not, which the federal government is trying to hide. So it's these sorts of factors that initially led to this approach uh, where there was very, very heavy restrictions on aid. Now we're at a slightly different phase of the conflict. Um, some of the basic um, elements of this of, of this war are now, you know, all, all but established. May, maybe they don't have sort of formal. Um, we haven't seen sort of formal admission, but otherwise, you know, it's it's a, just a, a, a known fact that Eritrea's military has been heavily engaged and and we've seen all these reports of atrocities i think that has led to a slight loosening um of the approach to the aid operation um but of course then you confront the problem of which areas can the aid agencies get into or, or which which aid ag- which areas can the federal government um authorize aid agencies to go meaning that not all of tigray by any means is under the control of the Ethiopian federal military or the interim government um, that the federal government has established in Tigray. We have these large northern swathes of northern Tigray that's in Eritrean control, and there is very little access. There is no acknowledgement of ongoing conflict. So there is no acknowledgement that the so-called Tigrayan defense forces um, are in control of considerable amounts of territory. So there is no real access there um, because... You know, there is no um, because there is no negotiations with them. They're not recognised um, as a uh, they're not recognised as a sort of a, 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 as a significant um, contingent by the federal government. Um, and then there is also a complicated picture in terms of the um, aid agencies getting access uh, for these areas that Amhara controls, um, because that may mean. Um, you're doing business, seeking permission um, from um, Amhara authorities that have no formal um, federal recognition or authorization to be administering the territories that there are. I mean, so it sounds like the upshot is that aid is extremely restricted, limited, uh, and the ability of humanitarian relief agencies to operate is, is, you know, minimal. Yeah, so we've seen some sort of you know, some sort of more approvals given for staff to operate, um, and and I think you know maybe because now there is you know some of these some of these elements that the federal government was trying to keep um, hidden essentially they're now out in the open, so maybe there's less need to control access to those federal government controlled areas. But then we're confronted with this quite you know, sort of patchwork of of control of the various armed entities and the fact that there is an ongoing conflict. Um, but it's not an ongoing conflict that the federal government is really mm-hmm. um, willing to recognize. So the problem is that you know it's going to be hard to get a really significant upsurge in humanitarian relief um, unless there is uh, an end to the fighting, which doesn't look likely according to my outlook, or if there was a cessation of hostilities and therefore you know humanitarian corridor. Um, but there's also no real sign of that, despite the sort of increasing international calls for it. So this is what makes the humanitarian situation 
particularly worrying um, because it looks like it could uh, be exacerbated in the weeks and and months to come. So uh, lastly, can I ask you about that international pressure campaign? I mean, it's it's striking to me that uh, U.S. Secretary of State uh, uh, Tony Blinken uh, twice in just, you know, maybe the space of a week uh, phoned Abiy Ahmed, uh, you know, encouraging him, pressing him to uh, relent, allow humanitarian access and seek a peaceful resolution of this conflict. Um, what does the fact that Ahmed so far seems to have, or Abiy has um, rebuffed these calls by, you know, longtime ally in the United States and, and also seems to be rebuffing calls from the United Nations as well. I mean, that, that to me is, is a striking turn, it seems. Yes, and I think, you know, I just want to go back to this, um, your causes of the conflict to help um, explain the, you know, to try and explain some of these, these dynamics and why they are indeed um, so, so worrying. Um, this Tigrayan takeover of the federal military was seen as the sort of final straw, let's say, um, by, by the federal government. Um, it was treated as a, an act of, of treason. But of course, you know, war was coming um, because Tigray region had run an autonomous election after the national elections were delayed by COVID and term limits were extended. And that led to the federal government um, classifying the newly elected Tigrayan executive as illegal and unconstitutional. Um, And then they prepared to um, redirect um, the federal budget away from Tigray's executive. And all that time, Tigray's leadership had been saying that the federal government's leadership was illegitimate because it outstayed its constitutionally mandated term limits. And they said that this effort to redirect the budget away from Tigray's executive was a breach of the federal compact. So, you know, there there was a clear um, you know, complete breakdown of relations between the federal government and the regional government. So the war was coming. Um, and then this Tigrayan attack, they described it as preempting a federal military intervention on the military was the final straw. But my point is that the parties got into this civil war stage because of the complete failure um, of peaceful politics. Um, you know, as, as with, with many situations of this type. Now that the new U.S. administration um, is exerting, you know, showing some, some concern and, 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 and urgency over this situation, um, they are looking to apply some pressure and to encourage a return to some form of peaceful politics. Um, but that's not how the Ethiopian federal government sees it. And it's not how the Amhara faction see it, nor is it, we think, how Eritrea's government sees it. And that means that they are still very much intent on their military objectives of completely disarming um, the former, the ousted Tigray leadership, uh, bringing those leaders to justice and establishing this interim administration. Um, And then obviously the Amhara have their territorial um, claims and and Eritrea, there is this seeming revenge mission. um, And it seems that a long-standing ambition of President Isaias to see the back of the TPLF 
um, for once and for good. Um, he is intent on, on realizing that. So even though the international community is now very much actively seized of this matter, it's not immediately clear how to change the conflict dynamics um, or the conflict situation and, and the political dynamics surrounding it, um, because all the parties are still intent on a military victory here. And that goes for the Tigrayan leadership as well. Um, they are expressing increasing confidence. They say they are willing to negotiate, but the preconditions that they put in place for talks to occur with the federal government are not practical, to put it mildly. You know, they want to essentially be returned to regional power. Um, and that's, you know, the federal government is not going to take those steps. So just these calls for humanitarian access to expand um, are not realistically going to happen at the scale they need to, um, at the scale the access needs to be expanded at, unless there is a significant um, reduction in the fighting. Mm -hmm. But unless there is an altered political approach from the belligerents, then we're, not, we're probably not going to see a significant reduction in the fighting. Um, and that, I think, is what makes the situation so worrying and also means that, um, yes, the international community is likely to continue to make these calls. There will be some concessions from the federal government, so some progress will be made. But I, there is reason to think that the fundamentals um, of this situation, of this, of this that, it is, that it has taken these parties to conflict, um, it's not clear what the levers are to alter those. Um, and therefore, you know, we could be looking at um, we could be we could be looking at indeed at an intensifying conflict over the next mm. weeks and months. Uh, well, William, this is obviously very disconcerting, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was nonetheless a helpful understanding of the drivers of this conflict right now. So, so thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Mark. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you to William. That was. Heavy, uh, but I think, uh, nonetheless, as I said at the outset, a very important opportunity to offer listeners an in-depth understanding of this crisis and tragedy that's unfolding right now in the Horn of Africa. And this is certainly a topic that we'll be returning to in the coming weeks and months ahead. Thank you all. We'll see you next time. Bye.